0: My name is Austin. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. I, I have the opportunity to uh, get up here and share with you guys um, what I think God is doing um, through, through his word and, and help to kind of reveal uh, God's word to us in, 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 I think, a really impactful way. So I'm really grateful for this opportunity to uh, be up here this morning um, yeah, I don't, I don't take it lightly. Uh, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just dive on in. And I want to I wanna start off with a question this morning. How many of you are familiar with the book of Jonah? Raise your hand. Just a, just a... raise your hand. It's okay. You can, you can raise your hand. I've got sweaty pits. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> How it is. I used to not raise my hand in school because of that. Believe it. I was so, like, self-conscious about it. I was like, and which is probably because why I got, like, my, my parents would get talked to all the time, Austin just blurts out in class, he can't keep it to himself. I'm like, yeah, because I don't want to raise my hand and show off my sweaty pits to everyone. So it's, it's okay, I've, I've, I should get prescribed deodorant. Where are we going this morning? Goodness gracious. Hello. All right, so a lot of you, a lot of you have heard of the book of Jonah, right? Um, and because I saw a lot of hands raised, I, I only saw maybe a few uh, that weren't. Um, I think this is a problem. I think this is a problem. I think this is a problem because what popped into your head when I asked that question about Jonah? What popped into your head? Oh, that's a different one, okay. More often than not, I think what comes to mind, and perhaps this is the case for you too, I think what comes to mind when you think of Jonah is, is likely a whale. Like or a talking asparagus. Right? If you if you grew up watching vegetables. I don't know if you did or not, okay? But likely a whale or a fish or a talking asparagus, right? And I think this is because many of us know about Jonah, or the story of Jonah, through what kinds of stories? Through through children's stories. Through children's books. And this isn't just Jonah, right? This, this, is, this is an experience, many of our experiences, not just with Jonah, but with the Old Testament. Um, most of our journey with the Old Testament gets filtered, unfortunately, through the lens of children's media. And what happens is, through children's books, most of these stories, they get watered down or filtered to become just sort of like a, a bland, moral truth about like, just be nice or something like that. Okay, and especially, especially for Jonah. Um, for Jonah, there is one element of the story that nearly every children's book fixates on, right? And what element is that? Jonah and the, the whale, right? Or the fish, depending on how good your children's book is, okay? We'll talk about that later. All right, but um, I, and so I, I just took some time. I took some time this week to search through Google and search through Amazon, just looking at um, the, the, the different children's books uh, on Jonah. And a vast majority of them included a whale or a fish in its title, okay? And, and, and it's funny, because actually a few years back, we, my, my Bible study, the Bible study that, that I go to on Friday mornings, um, a few years back, we did the book of Jonah, we studied the book of Jonah. And I just remember, I remember vividly one thing. I remember one of the guys admitting at that Friday morning, man, I honestly, I honestly just thought this book was about a dude getting rescued by a whale. Like that's, that's pretty much what I thought this book was about. Guys, the whale, the fish shows up in two sentences in the book of Jonah, two sentences. It's not about the fish. It, let's just establish that right now it's not about the fish to make the fish the main focus of the story is to miss on what is to miss out on what the story is really about the purpose of the book of Jonah like every other book of the Bible okay is to reveal the character of God to us to reveal Jesus to us and his character and his purpose and his purposes for us and the purpose that he has for us and his people okay okay It's not to entertain children. It's not about a fish. And to fully grasp and understand the book of Jonah, quite honestly, you do have to be an adult. Jonah, as we're going to see, is a representative character in this story. Jonah represents God's covenant people, okay, through whom God wants to do all of his work in the world. Okay, God's covenant people. And what the book of Jonah does is the book just exposes all of the horrible flawed things about Jonah because Jonah is not a good guy i don't know if you knew that like Jonah is not a good guy unlike the hero that that like Jonah's depicted as in all of like your children's stories like Jonah is actually a bad dude he's a bad dude and it's really easy to read this book and think to ourselves Jonah my guy what are you doing? You're a fool. You idiot. Why would you do that? Just, just do what God says, Jonah. If you would just listen, Jonah, if you would just—oh, wait. Hold on a second. Hold up. This is about me. This is about me. And what you begin to realize is that reading the book of Jonah— It's like looking into a mirror, it's like holding up a mirror. The story isn't aimed at Jonah, it's aimed at us. The story is aimed at exposing the worst tendencies that tend to form inside of God's people. Things like pride hard-heartedness, judgmentalism, tribalism, small-mindedness, and the inability to grow and change and allow God's grace to actually surprise us and expand the boundaries of, of what we thought was possible for God to do in the world. That is what this story is actually about. It's not about a fish. The book of Jonah also happens to be one of the most brilliantly told stories in the Bible. You guys, this is a book absolutely loaded to the gills. Okay, come on, there we go. Loaded, (laughs) yeah, I got the, oh, okay, with wit. It's loaded with wit and irony and sarcasm and humor. Yes, humor. There is humor in the Bible. What? Yeah. So for the next five weeks, we're going to take... A deep dive into, into this, this book of Jonah and, and do what we can to unfilter this often misunderstood, misrepresented, incredible book of the Bible. Are you all with me? All right, sweet deal. Let's do it. All right, so if you've got your Bibles with you, I invite you uh, to open your Bible uh, or if you've got the Bible app, the U Version Bible app, that's great too, or whatever Bible app. I don't know what you have, YouVersion ones. Free and, free and easy. Um, so open up to Jonah, and uh, I'll be fully transparent with you guys. We're not really going to get that far into the story today. Um, partially because most books of the Bible, chapter one is not the beginning of the story. Jonah one is like chapter one in a, in a book halfway through a series of books. Does that make sense? It's sort of like if you were to watch season one of a a TV series, of a show, and like skip ahead to season three. You might know like some of what's going on. You might know some of the characters, but there's likely going to be a lot that you misunderstand or just don't understand altogether because you're missing half of the story. So before we really get going in the book of Jonah today, we need to get caught up. Because a, there's a lot of the story that we're just already supposed to know in order to fully grasp what is going on, in order to fully grasp what the storyteller is trying to tell us in this book of, in this book of Jonah, okay? So we're not really going to go much further than the first uh, few verses of Jonah, in, or, and this is in order to just set the scene moving forward, all right? To get caught up in the story, set the scene, moving forward, and then we'll just kind of we'll, we'll, we'll go from there, all right? So... Um, Right uh, from the start here, we're going to start off with, uh, with, with Jonah 1, okay? So let's move in here. We got it up here? Jonah 1, there we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So right from the start here, we should know something about Jonah, okay? We should know what kind of book this is right from this verse, okay? Because what kind, what kind of book this is starts just like this, okay? Every book of the prophets starts with a word of the Lord or a vision of the Lord came to someone, okay? Came to a prophet. Prophets are God's appointed messengers, okay? Prophets are God's appointed messengers. They're not fortune tellers, all right? That's not what a prophet is. Prophets, they, they sometimes look into the future and discern what, God's, uh, what God will be doing in light of his character at the time, but for the most part, their job is just to speak on God's behalf and share God's perspective on something that's going on, okay? That's what a prophet does. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Omnitai. The word of the Lord comes to prophets. If you were to go to like the next uh, book in the Bible, right after Jonah, it's the book of Micah. Okay, and the book of Micah actually starts the exact same way. I think I've got, I got that one up here yet. The word of the Lord comes to uh, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth. Okay, it actually starts the exact same way as Jonah. And Jonah starts the exact same way as these other books of the prophets. And all these other books of the prophets are very similar. And what follows is that it is a collection of their prophetic words to Israel. Right? We said a prophet is God's messenger. So these books of the prophets are God's prophetic word to his people. Okay? To Israel. So when we read this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, right away we should be thinking, oh, okay, all right, I know what kind of book this is. This is a book of prophecy. This is a book of prophecy, right? Am I right? I'm wrong. I am wrong. If I think that I'm about to read a collection of Jonah's prophetic word, I'm wrong, because that's not at all what the book of Jonah is. Rather, the book of Jonah is actually a story about a prophet. And the very first sentences of this book throws you off from what kind of book this actually is. Because unlike the other books of the prophets, okay, which is God's word to his people through a prophet, the book of Jonah is God's word to his people through a story about a prophet in this case if you want to understand God's word to his people you've got to read and reread and think about the message of this story not of Jonah's prophetic words there is none in this book it's Jonah's story and this story is unlike any other book in the Bible It's unlike any other story in the Bible, for that matter, okay? It's unlike any other book of the prophets. We know that, okay? Right off the bat, we know that, okay? But it's unlike any other story in the Bible in the sense that this book reads a lot like if you were to smash a comic book and an SNL skit together, right? That's what this book is like. The book of Jonah is a form of satire, so think SNL. Think an SNL skit, okay? This book takes a real historical character, from the Bible and puts them in just the most, into the most just ridiculous scenario possible. Okay, and the goal of satire is not only to critique the characters themselves, but also to get you, the reader, okay, to, to critique them as well and to get you to laugh at the same time, okay, to kind of get you to giggle at something, to chuckle at something. So in the book of Jonah, you've got this religious prophet, right, this, this religious man of God, okay, he's supposed to be God's men- messenger to, to out into the world, Okay, and Jonah is actually the most hard-hearted, hateful person in the entire story. What? That seems backwards, right? That seems totally like uncharacteristic, like with what all the other prophets are supposed to be doing, okay? And then you've got these like heathen pagan sailors in the book of Jonah, and these big bad Ninevites, okay, who are just the most oppressive people that the world has ever known up to this point, point. and these people have like paper-thing consciousness, consciences, okay, and they turn just out, out on, a, like almost out on a whim. They hear a five-word sermon from Jonah, and all of a sudden they repent, and they turn, and they worship Yahweh. Even the cow, you guys, even the cows repent. We'll get there later. Even the cows repent in Nineveh, in the book of Jonah. Even the cows. So it's like this satire SNL skit sort of feature to it. That's kind of how it reads. And so as we read through this book, okay, we're, I, I, have a, I have a slide up. Okay, as we read through this book, I put this emoji up here because because I think there's there's something important to the the ancient readers, they would have been reading this and, and they would have read Jonah son of Amittai and they kinda they kinda would have chuckled a little bit. So whenever you see this, I wanna hear you guys just give me your best like fake laugh. Like if you were at an SNL night and like it says applause and it says laughter, this means laughter. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Uh, ha, yeah, there we go. Okay, so we're, we're just going to have some fun with this morning. We're just going to do that every time. Every time you see this, just give me your most, like, just, just give me the laughter, okay? Like, like, ha, 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 yeah, that was perfect. I don't know who that was over here, but I loved it, all right? So that's sort of just going to help us kind of get into this, all right? So whenever you see that, um, you're going you're gonna to laugh. The other feature, right, in this book uh, is, is just this over-the-top comic book style um, where everything... Everything about this book and everything in the book is just crazy and extreme and wonky. Okay, everything. You guys, the word great or huge in Hebrew is the word gadol, and it appears 15 times. 15 times in this short, like, four-page, two-page story, whatever your Bible is like, in this short four-chapter story. The word great or huge appears 15 times. Everything is huge in the book of Jonah. The storm is huge. The ship is huge. The fish is huge. The city of Nineveh is huge. The city of Nineveh is so huge that it takes Jonah three days to walk through it. And like this would be one of those moments where you would kind of be like, ha, ha, ha. Because like there was no city. There was no city back then that would take you three days to walk through it. Okay, it's just this ridiculous thing. Now, the city of Nineveh was like probably the, the, the largest city of the time, one of the greatest cities of the time, okay. but it was not even close to being three days big of a journey to walk through. Okay? Jonah is hugely happy in the story, and he's hugely afraid. He's like a maniac who's like su- who gets like suicidal over a plant, for goodness sakes. Okay? He's a crazy person who needs to go see like an ancient therapist. All right, that's essentially like this, this Jonah prophet that we're reading about, okay? You get the point. This book's over the top. It's extreme, okay? And that's exactly what the author wants. They're trying to rope you in. They're trying to immerse you and get you to be like, look at this, what, this Jonah guy. Look at what he's doing. How ridiculous is he? He's so stupid, like he's an idiot. And then you finish this story and, and you're like, oh, oh, wait that's me. Dang it. And that's, that's the purpose of this book. It's like a grenade that's just being lobbed to God's people in love and in compassion, I promise you, in order to help us wake up to the worst tendencies that have always been at play inside of God's people. That is the book of Jonah. So back to verse 1. Now we've, we're kind of laying, laying the, the foundation here. Back to verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. <laughs> right. And, and that's, that's hilarious. It's hilarious, right? Exactly. You're laughing because Jonah means dove. And doves are a symbol of, of purity and innocence. And Amittai means faithfulness. And that's why we're laughing here. That's why, that's why we all chuckled a little bit right there. Because Jonah, the innocent one, son of faithfulness, ha, that's a good one. Jonah is, is the least innocent and, the, and, and actually the most faithless one in the entire story. We'll continue reading. Go, God says, go to, jo- go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because this wickedness has come up before me. And so here, in this part, you're just supposed to know that Nineveh is just this great gadol city, okay? You're just supposed to kind of know Nineveh, and you're supposed to kind of know, like, how ironic it is that Jonah, of all people, is being sent to Nineveh. Like, like that's, just, that's just kind of ironic, okay? And so here's the deal. Jonah appears... One other time in the Old Testament, and that's in uh, 2 Kings 14. And long story short, Jonah actually prophesied favorably over this horrible king that Israel would expand its national borders. Granted, the prophecy is through Yahweh, but still, it was like it, it, was a, it was a prophecy favorable for a horrible, awful king that no one wanted to see prosper. And this, that guy that did that, this is the guy that God chooses to send to Nineveh. To preach about bringing God's forgiveness and mercy? In Nineveh, of all places, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, Israel's most hated enemies. Assyria, it was the empire empire that wiped out 10 of the 12 um, tribes of Israel. 10 of the 12, most hated enemies. They were the most brutal and violent and oppressive empires the world had seen up into that point of history. Word is that as they would plunder a city, that they would skin the people alive and hang them on pikes outside of the city. Like they were brutal, brutal, violent, awful people. And so God, in this moment, as we read in Jonah Jonah 1 and, and 2, God is, is being depicted as a king who's overseeing his kingdom, okay? And he sees Nineveh, and he sees the wickedness. He sees, he sees all, the, all the crap that is there going on and decrees, that's got to stop. That's got to go. And so he sends a messenger, innocent one, son of faithfulness, Jonah. And so we read this, and we should absolutely be thinking, Especially if you're an ancient reader and you understand all of this already and you're like, oh, wasn't Jonah's that guy, wasn't he that guy that, that prophesied favorably for that horrible king? Hmm. There's something fishy going on here, right? <laughs> I had two this week, okay? I had two. Well, keep going. Jonah 3. Okay, so this is kind of the context for us right here right now with Nineveh and Jonah and what's going on in this story that we're about to kind of get immersed into. So we've got uh, verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Right? Hilarious. I know. It's so funny. It's hilarious because Tarshish, Tarshish is literally the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And not only that, and I have a map, actually. I have a map for this. So go to the map, and then we're going to have to go back to that slide later. But literally, there's Nineveh. There's Joppa. Okay? And where where Jonah resides is just like, just northeast of Joppa, okay? Just just like a skip away from there. Okay, so God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach to these people, okay? Preach about their wickedness, call them to repentance. Okay? And Jonah says, nah, I'm good. He literally goes the complete opposite direction all the way to Tarshish, okay? Which would have been, literally, the opposite direction. And more than that, it would have been the farthest away possible from Nineveh. Tarshish was literally the edge of the known world. There was nothing beyond that. The edge, as far away as possible, that's where Jonah was going. So he headed for Tarshish. Okay, he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, so I guess he was somewhat honorable, he did pay the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Right, and that's a good one, Jonah. That's a good one. That's a good one, you silly goose. Right? You can't flee from the Lord. Right? Surely you've read Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Jonah's a prophet, for goodness sakes. He knows the Bible. You can't flee from the Lord, Jonah. So why is Jonah so intense on fleeing? It's mentioned twice here in verse 3 twice in that one verse. Jonah is the only prophet who runs away from God, the only prophet. There's something inside of his heart and his mind that has just scrambled his view of reality, right? He's supposed to be this upstanding religious man of God, or so we think, but he's actually the one running the furthest away from God. Why? Well, like I said, Nineveh is in the habit of skinning people alive when it conquers a city, and he's being asked to go march into the capital of that city, of that empire, and preach against it, okay? This would be like parachuting into Berlin during World War II with like a sign and like a bullhorn that says like, down with the Third Reich. Bad idea, right? Like, that's, that's not going to go over very well for Jonah, okay? You're, you, or, or anyone who, who did that for that matter, like, you're, you're going to die okay? You wouldn't do that. And so we think, well, that, duh, that's why he's fleeing. He doesn't want to get skinned alive. He's scared. Who wouldn't be? I wouldn't, I don't want to get skinned alive. He doesn't want to get skinned alive. All right, that makes sense. But that's not actually why. Turn with me to chapter four. I kind of lied to you, I guess, a little bit. Um, but we're not gonna dive into any, any more of this. Turn with me to chapter four. So in chapter three, Jonah preaches this five-word sermon in Hebrew, all right? And the city and the king and the cows repent, okay? But to Jonah, the fact that the Ninevite, that the Ninevites, okay, would experience forgiveness and mercy and grace. This seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He became angry at the success of his own preaching, I guess, okay? He prayed to the Lord. You can just see it. Isn't this what I said, Lord? Isn't this what I said when I was still at home? This is why I wanted to flee with haste to Tarshish. I knew, God, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now take, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die. It's better for me to die than to live. Innocent one, son of faithfulness. Ha ha ha. Why did he run? Tells you exactly why. He wasn't scared. He knew that God would forgive them, the Ninevites. He knew that somehow God would find a way to bring his grace, bring his mercy to his enemies. And he did not want a happy ending for his enemies. He didn't want a happy ending. So what's going on here, friends? What's going on here is Jonah. Jonah has a plan for his life. He has a wonderful vision for his life and how his prophetic career is going to go. And it does not include Nineveh or going to Nineveh, for that matter. He does not Want to be the prophet that assists in bringing the redemption to his worst enemies. That's just not in his plan. This is at the root of what's happening inside of Jonah's heart. He knows perfectly well, he knows perfectly well that Yahweh loves to show mercy, that Yahweh, that God loves to forgive. But that just does not fit into his vision of what his life is all about. No thanks, God. One-way ticket to Tarshish, please. And so really how the book of Jonah begins is with a really profound exploration of the nature of disobedience. And I think the word obedience has grown um, into something that has a negative connotation in our our culture. And I think it continues to do so, especially when it comes to God. Right? Here we go again. The big man upstairs. Okay? Bossing people around again. What's new? He sure loves to do that, right? Don't do this. Don't do that. And perhaps this is because of how our own parents treated obedience and how they talked about obedience. And then they were the ones to then teach us oftentimes about God. And it would just make sense that then that would get reflected onto the big man upstairs. The biblical vision for obedience is very different. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about an opportunity to partner with God and bring about his kingdom here. Could God have just appeared like with thunder and fire in Nineveh, like he did on Mount Sinai, and just get the job done? Could he have done that? The the answer is yes. He totally could have done that. Like he's God. Totally could have just appeared with thunder and fire, and just be like, yep, Ninevites, hey, repent, or, like, um, or fire. You choose. Could he have done that? Yes, he absolutely could have, but he didn't. Is that how God, is that consistent with how God operates in the Scriptures? Friends, I can count on my hands the amount of times that God has done that in the Scriptures. God chooses to work through his people. He wants to partner with us from page one of the Bible to the end. He invites us to do so, just like he did Jonah. And Jonah, Jonah has this plan for his life. He has this vision of the good life. And God then invites him to something that is so much bigger, so much greater, and so much more beautiful than anything that he could possibly imagine. And what it boils down to, okay, is the biblical version of obedience is that we have our own vision of the good life, and we have God's vision of what it means to live. And, and then Jesus enters the picture, and he's like, follow me. There's a whole bunch of things that you've been doing up to this point in your life. I know that. I'm aware of that. And you think that those things are bringing you life, but they're actually not bringing you life at all. Actually, quite the opposite. And I think you're aware of that. And I think these first few verses here in Jonah reveal a profound but sad irony for us today. And that is that it can be very easy for us to think that just because we say we're a Christian and that we, we go to church that we're doing pretty good. But then there's this very, but oftentimes there's this very clear glaring. And that is good. That is a good thing, friends. I'm not denying that. That's not what I'm saying up here. But oftentimes we're doing those things and then there is this very clear glaring, okay, area of our lives where we know. We know that we are being called to grow. We know that we are being called to change. And for some reason, we're just able to like compartmentalize that and just say, yeah, I know know that's a part of my life, Jesus. I, I, I get that. I get that. But but, but, at least, but at least I'm here on, on Sundays. At least I take the, the time to do this. Right? That's, that's totally how we operate. Like Jonah, we have this vision of our life that is being challenged. And more often than not, we are booking it to Tarshish. Because the plan that God has for us and what it entails, we don't, we don't like. It goes against the plan or the vision that we have for the good life. Ophi, my daughter, she's, um, she's 21 months. 21 months now. Wow, that's crazy. 21. So almost two years old. She's a little firecracker, let me tell you. Okay? And if you can remember the stage, if you have kids or if you have kids around the stage, right, they, they, um, they like to do what they want. Right? And Ophie's at this stage where, where she just pretty much runs everywhere she goes. Okay? It's, it's really funny, just the sound of it. Okay, she's got this little meat feet that just flap all along the floor, okay, wherever she's running. You know, or we'll be out on a walk and, and she just runs everywhere she goes. And, and we'll be on a walk or we'll be somewhere in the house and she sees something. She sees something that's bright and shiny. Ooh, that's good. Or we'll be on a walk and she'll, she'll, she'll see some girls playing across the street, the street or a dog. She loves dogs. Oh my goodness, loves dogs. Okay, and she'll see a dog. I want to pet that dog. And so what does she do? She runs. She runs as fast as she can. She's trying to pet that dog. And then Morgan and I knowing like, holy cow, like that's, that's the street she's about to cross. We're over here. We're, we're, so we get in the moment. Our goal at this stage in life is just, just to get Ophie to stop. Right? We just want her to stop. Like, hold on. Hold on. Just stop. I want her. I want her to pet that dog more than anybody else. I want her to go play with those friends more than anybody else. I want her to experience the good life more than anyone else. But in that moment, when I am telling her to stop, when I am telling her, hey, you need to wait, hold on, you need to turn around, hold up, wait for me, okay, to her, I am ruining her party. Right? She has a vision of the good life, and it involves going and petting that dog. And, that, and, and I am contradicting that in the moment. Because I know, I know that if she crosses that street and there's a car there, done. And there's a car going, done. Over. I know what she thinks is running for her life, for the good life, right? For that dog, that dog's awesome, right? I know, I can see that it's actually quite the opposite, potentially. This is... This is the, exactly the scenario that Jonah finds himself in. And, in, in our, and I think it's a, it's a very similar scenario that we find ourselves in every single day. We have a vision of the good life. Of how we want to live. How we want to live it. And sometimes God calls us in a different direction. God calls us to a different path. And I can't think of a better example of the story um, than what we find in the gospel. Than what we find literally in the news that is Jesus Christ living like we never could or can. Living a perfect life as a perfect human. And then dying. Bearing the cross. So that we we could then live a life that is that is full of what Jesus calls life to the full life abundant life and the path that he says to that you want this i know we've talked about this before but th- there's your cross so often These competing visions of our life live in competition with one another every day. Sometimes it's more drastic. Other times it's not. And there are areas of our lives that we just don't want to take Jesus to. That's my question for you today and this week as we begin this this story of Jonah. Where in your life Are you refusing to take Jesus? Are you refusing to bring God with you? Where is that? And can I just encourage you to accept the invitation? To just take one step on that path to Nineveh and see what happens. It's a heavy heavy theme that we're going to be diving into. And this book, um, it, it gets sadly, gets, uh, gets written into a children's story. But this book is really kind of like a punch in the gut. So if you like the pain, I invite you back next week. As we dive more into what this story reveals to us about God's character, not only for us, but our enemies too, and how we live our lives and the importance of that process of partnering God. Can I pray with you all this morning? The band, you can come up now too as I pray. Jesus, God, you know the parts of our story that are hard to share, that are hard to talk about, Jesus, the places that are hard to go. You know those places. God, I pray this week, as we meditate on just this, this book of Jonah, I pray, Lord, that we would be just um, more aware of your presence in our lives. It's already there. God, we know you're, you're aware. You're everywhere around us. Help us to be more aware of your presence. Help us to be more aware of the moments in our lives where, God, you are calling us to this, to this life. You want us to have this life of abundance, this life to the full. You want all of that for us. Help us to find in this week the moments when our vision is in competition with that. God, and help us to trust you. Help us to be sons of faithfulness in our own story, so we can experience the goodness and the amazing, wonderful beauty of what it looks like to partner with you in this world. I thank you so much for the story of Jonah. And God, how, it, uh, how it's revealing things in my own life and personal journey. So God, we're, we're grateful. We humble ourselves before your word in this moment this morning. And I just pray that we take time, Lord, to just reflect on this in a, in a moment of worship. We, we give it to you, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. Amen.